This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I'm excited to be joined once again this evening by Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. Paul, it's uh, it's great to be here again. I'm excited for the running backs. Yeah, so if you missed our last episode, Jeff and I discussed dynasty overall quarterback rankings. It was a great discussion on our rankings to kind of kick off this little mini dynasty rankings four-part series that we have going on here at Saturday to Sunday. Jeff and I went through our top 12 or so in terms of our overall quarterback rankings. We talked about some differences in in stuff, overall approach to ranking the dynasty quarterbacks, you know, some quarterback twos and and so on that we had different opinions on. And, you know, it was a really great episode, but I'm excited to get right into it tonight, Jeff. And so why don't we start similar to how we started the quarterback episode, just overall thoughts on ranking running backs in a dynasty type of landscape, because I know I found it very challenging for a variety of reasons. And at the tippy top of it was trying to straddle that line of, we know it's a position that change happens quick and trying to straddle a line of what is going to happen right now in this upcoming year but also take a look out for at least maybe a three-year window in terms of the running back position and kind of setting yourself up for some future success, right? So that immediate versus a little bit longer approach, I think is something that I had difficulties with in terms of ranking guys who right now I know are better and right now I know are RB1s, but are they going to be RB1s two years from now? I'm not sure. There are guys, So I took some stands on guys that I think might be on the back nine of their career and maybe within two or three years, they're not RB1s and are, or, are, or high RB2s anymore. So I moved them down a little bit and I took a stand on some guys that I would say I think have the capability to move into RB1. And I guess my approach, and I'm interested to hear your take, is I think, again, my initial rankings are if it was a dynasty startup, I'm okay not competing or winning in year one, but I kind of want to set the foundation for being really good year two, year three, and beyond and try to compete by the second or third year. And for me, I think I'd rather be out on a good running back right now a year too early than a year too late. And I think that's kind of was my philosophy a little bit as I was making these and trying to put some guys up who a year from now I think could be in the top 10, top 12 mix, and maybe I already have them there to kind of be a leg up on where I think they might be going. So that was kind of my approach, but I know that's that's very different than maybe your approach or many other people's approaches when they when they do something like this. So kind of how did you go about making your rankings at the running back position? So I think you you alluded to the fact that there are a lot of different paths that, you know, a dynasty manager could take, when, especially when it comes to the running back position. And I think that's what makes this format my preferred way to play fantasy football because I don't think you could go into it with any single right answer. And and I've seen many different approaches all be successful. So my personal approach is generally to not think further than two to three years out 
situations, one, are really impactful to the running back position, and they change pretty quickly. Um, on another front, too, you know, when you mentioned a startup perspective, you know, it's hard to know in a startup what you're going to do. Are you thinking that it might take a year or two to to get to the playoffs or or are you going to be able to go for it and and maybe take advantage that very first year and, and sort of get a quick get a quick win, get a quick trophy to kind of set you up for the future, you know, down the line. So that's always going to be an interesting one as well. For me personally, oh, and the running back position itself is so fundamental to winning those titles, right? Like you need a few of those RB1s or or you know, one or especially even two of these like top five or six guys will really carry you a far, like will carry you all the way through, you know, and, and cover up any deficiencies you might have on other parts of your roster, but they also fade so quickly. And so it's such a transient position that, that you're right. You know, you might take a guy who's at the peak of his career and write it for a year or two, but if you don't get a title in that, time frame all of a sudden you might be holding on to a an asset like Todd Gurley for who two three years ago was the number like the number one pick in dynasty and he's barely on the radar now he still doesn't have a team and so it's just how quickly the tide can turn if you try to you're, you're just playing a game of like when will when will you hit the cliff and and you might just if you hold too long you might run off of it and so I understand the year two or, or the year early versus the year late. And that's another way that people take this is they're always churning and selling their running back. So they, they get one in and two or three years into their NFL career, they might be at their peak value, you know, Christian McCaffrey's and they're selling them for more diverse set of younger running backs. So the way that I took my approach um, was that, I don't think we're quite as good at predicting who is going to really hit that upper echelon. So when it came to the guys that have proven themselves as top tier NFL running backs, I gave them the benefit of the doubt because I know, especially for at least two to three years, that they're going to be able to give me strong value. And I might be holding the bag if I don't get out from them after this year. Um, and and it, so it's a if if my roster isn't going to make it this year, then then there's no no almost no sense in holding on to them. Um, but I'm assuming that everybody's going to try to be winning now. If you get a good assessment that your roster is going to be able to kind of make it make it through the regular season into the playoffs, that's sort of the the mindset I'm taking. Give yourself a two or three year window and, and go from there. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that approach is approach that a lot of people use. And I think it's one that, you know, th- that, that could be smart based on how people are playing because what you, you said something in there that I think is very, very smart. And it's not just about dynasty rankings. It can be used for a lot of different things. And I know I've brought it up. Sometimes we might think that we are better at predicting things 
that they're going to happen than, than they we really are. And I've talked about this in terms of the bias that people hold to their pre-draft rankings and not adjusting and adapting, right? It's why guys like Michael Carter are going over first round wide receivers in rookie drafts, right? Because we think we know more, you know, than, than we do, even though a guy might fall to the fourth round, right? And, and there's times, you know, that, I think sometimes we're not very good at predicting things. Things change very fast, right? And you brought it up. I have one dynasty team that I was sitting pretty with Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon a couple of years ago, and I was the best team in the league, and they didn't sell them, right? And now my team is kind of in a tough, a tough spot right now because – I, I only really have Joe Mixon and I'm struggling for a second RB because Gurley's, you know, is what he is. And, and, you know, and Melvin Gordon is now kind of being on his way, being pushed out in Denver. Right. So they're trying to know when to sell, when to hold, how much value you want to get from these guys. You know, and I think another thing that's interesting is I sometimes lean a little bit more with the, the younger guy for a second reason. And that's, in terms of value, in terms of trading, I think there's a little bit more wiggle room, right? Like if, if you have, if you draft a 21 year old or 22 year old and they're good this year, but not great, they still have a little bit more value than if you draft somebody who's 27, they're good this year, but not great, but they're not going to bring back the same amount of value. So sometimes while there might not be as much immediate production in terms of asset collection and a value they hold their value a little bit longer right because there's still that perceived maybe this is the year and i just know before we got to get into our our rankings a little bit we were talking off air about this for me i get to about 28 and i'm comfortable with the first 28 names on my list and then to me it really falls off that i'm uncomfortable so like if i was doing a startup dynasty tomorrow I'd aggressively be trying to get three guys in a perfect world, four from that top 28, but bare minimum three from that top 28 and preferably three from my top 20. And then maybe the fourth guy could be like, you know, in that 21, 28 range. And then I'd kind of hold push off on things like wide receivers and, and tight ends, uh, you know, and quarterback. It would depend on the setting of the league, uh, whether it's two quarterback or super flex or just a standard one. Uh, but, I do really think we get to that, that late twenties and there's a massive drop in terms of somebody's 29 could be somebody else's 50. Like I, I really do think, and you don't see that as much in other rankings in terms of positions uh, at all. So a- any final thoughts, Jeff, just in terms of general discussion approaches before we kind of share our ranks. Just that again, when we talk these through, they're kind of in a vacuum. Context matters a lot. I think any good set of rankings, you know, will try to add some of that context along with them, you know, and, and I think uh, as we put these ones out for y'all, um, you know, I, I wouldn't take it as a gospel, you know, reach out to us. Like, I think we're, we're both really active on Twitter. We're both there to help. And, you know, if it's, if it, if it doesn't seem to add up in your head because like, we have one guy over another, you know, it, it's probably because, you know, maybe you're coming at it from a different lens. And so, you know, I'm, I'm certainly out there happy to help, you know, reach out and, um, and, and maybe we could give you kind of like, 
a team-based perspective, you know, with, with the context in place. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important that you just said that because, you know, I don't know if there's another position that that statement matters more than running back, right? Like, and we're going to get into names. I don't need to go too much into names, but like you just look at somebody like a Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott, and if my team is winning right now and, and I think I can win the championship, well, then those guys have more value than a guy maybe who's a second-year running back who, yeah, I think has a, a a lot of upside. But if I'm a contender right now, I want Derrick Henry on my team, right, over over guys who are not in the top five or top six right now, right? I'm not giving away Derrick Henry for one of those guys who maybe one day can get into the top 10, let alone top five. I'm not trading him away if I'm ready to win right now. So, like, that's where in a vacuum – startup compared to the context of a regular dynasty league that you have a roster already is so dramatically different. And I think people got to be really careful when they look at dynasty rankings, you know, a lot of the rankings usually have a write up that goes with it sometimes on some sites. And it talks about like their approach and stuff like that. And I think it's really important when they do a podcast and they talk about their approach. I do think it's really important to understand that approach uh, because it does really matter and, and, you know, it could really alter what someone's rankings look like. And that's why rankings really shouldn't be used as a, as a trade analysis chart of this guy is ranked seven on Paul's list. This guy's ranked, you know, 17. That means Paul would definitely not necessarily, right? It's not necessarily based on the structure and the context of your team, right? And we talked about that with the quarterbacks, right? Trying to fit in Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson relative to the Trey Lances and the Justin Fields and the Joe Burrow, right? You know, though it really does matter what the context of your roster looks like when you're talking about who you would rather have in a one-for-one conversation. So don't I, I would really be hesitant to use dynasty rankings for trade analysis, you know, because I think you can really you know, be misguided by rankings in that retrospect uh, if you're looking at that. So that's just one other final note. So let, let's get into it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the, what the top of my ranks look like. Uh, and then Jeff's going to share his. And then we're going to talk about some differences and some players that really kind of stood out. Uh, so for me at number one, Christian McCaffrey. Number two, Saquon Barkley. Number three, Dalvin Cook. Number four, Alvin Kamara. Number five, Jonathan Taylor. Number six, Joe Mixon. Number seven, Antonio Gibson. Number eight, Najee Harris. Number nine, DeAndre Swift. Number 10, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Number 11, J.K. Dobbins. Number 12, Austin Eckler. Number 13, Derrick Henry. Number 14, Nick Chubb. Number 15, Cam Akers. Number 16, Ezekiel Elliott. Number 17, Aaron Jones. Number 18, Travis Etienne. Number 19, Javante Williams. Number 20, Josh Jacobs. Number 21, Miles Sanders. Number 22, David Montgomery. Number 23, Kareem Hunt. And number 24 was Miles Gaskin. I know I mentioned that for me, there was a big cutoff after 28. The other names that were there of guys before what I consider a big cutoff were Chris Carson, Trey Sermon, Chase Emmons, and Darrell Henderson, who obviously saw his value go up a lot uh, after the Cam Akers news. In terms of things, Jeff, that surprised me, one or two things that surprised me most was kind of what we said before, where I have guys like Derrick Henry and Ezekiel Elliott relative to last year's rookie class, 
I think I, I, I made a stand on, I think Ezekiel Elliott's best years are behind him. I don't necessarily think that's the case with Derrick Henry, but I do think if, if I'm kind of looking at get out of year too early, I think Derrick Henry is going to be great this year. I think he might even be great next year. And then maybe he dips off. So I have him a, a little bit lower because of that. And I'm trying to buy the upside of some of those second year guys. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, like I said, I kind of made a stand on. Same thing a little bit with Nick Chubb. He surprised me a little bit because, you know, I'm taking into account that these were more for PPR. They still have Kareem Hunt. I think Nick Chubb's one of the best natural runners in the entire game, but I don't know if he possesses the upside of some of these other guys because PPR and because Kareem Hunt's still there. That's why he was a little bit probably lower for me than consensus rankings, uh, and we'll get into more of that. But those, I think, are are the things that surprised me the most, where I kind of penciled in Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, and Nick Chubb. So, Jeff, why don't you kind of share your rankings, share a few things that maybe surprised you, and then we'll we'll hit on some of the key differences that we had. So I have Christian McCaffrey first, uh, Saquon Barkley uh, second, and Dalvin Cook third. Nick Chubb is fourth for me. I think we'll touch on him. And then fifth is John Jonathan Taylor, Alvin Kamara at number six, Ezekiel Elliott at number seven, Derek Henry at number eight, Aaron Jones ninth, Clyde Edwards Alaire tenth, and J.K. Dobbins eleventh, and Joe Mixon at twelve. And then the back half, my RB2s, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris at fourteen. DeAndre Swift at 15, Antonio Gibson, Javante Williams, David Montgomery, 19 is Josh Jacobs, 20, Travis Etienne, 21, Miles Sanders. I put Trey Sermon at 22, and Cam Akers fell down to 23, and Miles Gaskin also rounding out uh, my top 24 at number 24. And I think as far as... You know, I'll take it a, a little bit different way since I think we already talked through our different approaches to the running backs. But, you know, even with my mindset, you know, I was on, on one high end. You know, I've always been a fan of J.K. Dobbins, but for him sitting at number 11 for me above guys like Eckler and Mixon, I, I just think that was something that, you know, as I wound through and, you know, where who I would take where, that was a, that was kind of a shocking one, just how you know, how, how optimistic I am with what he'll do in Baltimore, you know, with even some of the questions that exist there. Um, I'm a pretty big believer. And then on the low side, you know, Josh Jacobs is, is sort of falling out like towards a back end running back too. And, and he's been a running back one each of his two years and was the number eight guy last year with, you know, not, not in the greatest context, still not being used as a tremendous pass catcher and he's still producing. He was arguably the top rookie in his class. And so it's just kind of a, it's, it's just an interesting thing to see him falling all the way down with, you know, even behind some established names that are still churning out great points and some new newcomers to the, to the field that I think we just see a little bit more upside with. So I was a little bit shocked. Josh, Josh Jacobs was, was that low, but for both of us actually. 
Yeah, I mean, Josh Jacobs is really interesting because the talent alone, I love Josh Jacobs coming out. He was, you know, I was really high on him. For me, it's been the unwillingness. And now two years in, is it going to change of how unwilling they are to let him be involved in the past game and everything they do, all their moves they make seem to think that that's not going to expand, which is really weird because I know it was one of his strengths, you know, just on pure filmy Val. And if you watched him at this time at Alabama, I thought he was a really good receiver. So like if I would have done this ranking, even after year one of his career, I think he probably would have still been in the top 10, top 12 for me because I would have thought maybe year one, they were just kind of letting him get comfortable as that runner. And then they were going to open it up from year two and they didn't. And every move they continue to make seems to scream that they are not going to do that. And he's not going to become a 40, 50 catch type guy. Um, You know, so then, you know, it kind of hurts his value a little bit, but he could be a guy just looking at both of our lists that, it wouldn't take a lot if they just get him involved in the passing game. It doesn't have to, he doesn't have to be Christian McCaffrey. He can, if he catches three passes a game, like, you know, it was like in that 45 to 50 range, he would skyrocket up these rankings. So it's, it, it's one of those things that he's got the potential to really move up, but we both took a stand that we put, you know, the, you know, I put both of the, the rookies in terms of Javante Williams and Travis Ethian ahead of him, even though on pure talent coming out of college, I like Josh Jacobs better than those guys. And Josh Jacobs has already proven he can be a productive runner in the NFL. But I think for, in terms of just straight upside, I'm not sure, you know, how high his upside is, even though he's finished strong, you know, each of his first two years in the league. Uh, I did find it interesting that 23, guys out of our 24 were the same names it's just we do have it shuffled around like a lot more than we did with the quarterback so i think that just tells you the different styles and approaches of of the running back position why don't we get into one of our biggest you know differences and and that's a that's on joe mixon and and i knew this was going to be one from when i did it i've been a advocate and a fan of Joe Mixon, the talent film on film since his time in college, you know, take out all the, the, the nonsense off the field, you know, in terms of making him not a, not a good person in any right, but on the football field, I've always been very intrigued by his skill set, And I am still very intrigued by his skill set. I'm still buying at a, at a very high level. And I, and, and he wouldn't, He's one of those guys that even in redraft leagues this year, I would take in the first round, but I know I'm not going to have to take in the first round. And it's the same kind of approach in, in a startup dynasty. I know I'm higher on him. So I know I wouldn't need to take him in round one, that he'd be more of a round two target, I think, in, in, in most you know startup uh, dynasty drafts. But I do still believe there's a stretch of, of, of game left in him where he could be an elite running back and he could be a top five, top six guy. And I'm, I'm still got some questions about the offensive line, but I think they've improved a little bit. And I'm hoping with those improvements, Burrow in year two, another weapon, Jamar Chase, that's going to stretch the field and, and open things up underneath. I think Joe Mixon's finally going to be on the verge of that breakout season where he's a top five, top six running back in the NFL in terms of fantasy, because I think he's got that skill set. So, so that's where my optimism is on Joe Mixon. I understand 
anybody that has some reservations because he's been in the league enough now. We haven't seen that breakout yet. I think most people who watch him closely on film know there's talent there, but just hasn't been put together to put him at the elite level yet. I think it's been more of surrounding supporting cast than on him. So I'm making a little bit of a stand that this year maybe it starts to all come together. So that that's kind of my stance on Mixon. And any any did I kind of hit on where your reservations are because you're not alone. Most people have him where you have him relative to where I have him. Yeah, I, I mean I think I'm even a little bit higher on him than what a general consensus would be. Uh, for me, six is just entering that elite tier for me. Um, you know, you're you're top end running back one you're scoring difference making points and you know i think to make that leap you have to feel extraordinarily confident in the the Bengals offense like they it's not just that you know do they have the weapons with you know joe burrow now jamar chase t higgins like they have good weapons but they weren't even efficient last year um it's we we haven't necessarily seen a great coaching mind there put it all together Right. You you mentioned some reservations on the offensive line. I'm of the belief that, you know, they get Jonah Williams back. They're going to be better than they were last year. I I think it's just six is where, you know, you're, that would be putting him above, you know, guys that I know will get me, you know, the Alvin Kamara's, the the Jonathan, well, not not Jonathan Taylor, but the the Alvin Kamara's, the Derrick Henry's, the Ezekiel Elliott's, the Aaron Jones for me, where, I have extreme confidence that what they're going to give me in my lineup. And it's not like I'm projecting, you know, a rookie or a second year player, right? Like, you know, he's been, I, I know he's a little bit younger, but you know, this is, I think his fourth year now, uh, you know, he did sign it. He's, he's starting to be that second contract player where, you know, you got to put a little bit of reservation in, you know, he hasn't broken out yet. Is he going to break out late? And then how long will he be, you know, at the top there for you? So it's just, it's just a few mixes to me that I just don't think very optimistic. I think he's going to be a great piece. Like you said, his value is there. I think he's a great value. I just don't think I could put him quite as high as you do. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think it's one of those things where, for me, I'm taking a stand that I really like him, but also knowing in knowing the fact that I wouldn't have to take him as high as my rankings say, right? It's important that you understand and know, you know, where general ADP, general consensus is, right? Because that's important, right? Personally, yes, I think he, you know, I think we're going to see a stretch moving forward where he produces at a level equal or higher we're more upside than a guy like Nick Chubb or you know guys like that but I also understand that that is a take that is unlike other people so at the same time you gotta you gotta take that so it could be that you pivot to a different player a different position you know if this was a startup or whatever uh you know where you could then kind of come back to mix in with your second pick because you understand that even though you like him more it's different based on what what's out there. So you can kind of maybe potentially wait it out a little bit. So that that's that kind of that we were talking about in terms of, you know, understanding startup, 
don't use it strictly as a rankings. Yes, for me in this instance, yeah, I would trade some of the guys behind for Joe Mixon because I'm ready to buy. I think that window of being an elite player, we're on the verge of finally seeing. And maybe I maybe I go down with the sinking ship because uh, I've been there for a while now, but I'm still not ready yet. If it doesn't start to come together this year, then maybe he is who he is. But I still think there's a three, four-year window, I think, where he's still young enough at 24 where he could still have that three, four-year window of being a really elite top-level running back. I'm still expecting him to get there, especially now with Giovanni Bernard added a mix. I think you're going to see him even excel more in the passing game, which I think is something that they haven't fully taken advantage of that skill set, which he has. Uh, so we'll see. It's, it's interesting. Two guys that you had a little bit lower – uh, than me that I want to kind of hear your take on was Najee Harris, obviously the, the incoming rookie for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then DeAndre Swift. I had them at 8-9. You had them, Jeff, at 14-15, uh, Harris, and then Swift. The consensus had them at 8-9 in terms of ECR rankings for Dynasty. Uh, where do your concerns lie with Harris and Swift, having them a little bit behind me and the ECR? Uh, so part of it there is uh, they're in a tier, you know, with some of the other young running backs like Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and JK Dobbins, who I do have slightly ahead of them. So that's, you know, why you see 14, 15, you know, you could argue they're 10, 11 for me. Um, but I, I still put them behind the guys that, you know, I know are going to make a difference in my lineup. And and so that's for me where I take the security of Derrick Henry. I take the security of Aaron Jones. I take the security of Ezekiel Elliott with confidence that I think there's going to be two solid years of, of those guys left. So, you know, even if I did worry about the end of the, the career coming soon, I'd use those guys now and, and trade them at the end of the year. Or, or if I wasn't going to make it through the playoffs, you know, Harris, because I don't see the breakout at, at this top end level with those two yet. And, you know, it's Najee Harris has been one of like, he was my favorite rookie. I, I sung his praises. I think he gets undersold everywhere. You know, people say, yeah, he's a good pass catcher. He's like, he was, he's a better pass catcher than I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire was even for me. And that's, that's really saying something. Uh, I know he's going to get volume. I know he's going to get fantasy points. I don't think the upside's there quite yet. And and I do worry about just what it's going to look like for, for him in his career. Like, will his career look a little bit more like Josh Jacobs, right? It could go in two different directions. And I just don't think I can project with confidence that he's going to be up there in the top 10 for a few years. And it's, it's kind of the same thing with DeAndre Swift. He, he had some really good flashes. He was sure I think he was a complete picture at the NFL level. Like his athleticism was there, but he still made mistakes. He, he still showed that he's a guy you have to take off. Like you can't take off the field. Um, they signed Jamal Williams. And I think Jamal Williams is a really good NFL back. And while that's not going to necessarily mean anything from a fantasy lens, at least for him, He's going to see the field. He he saw the field even with Aaron Jones out there who had shown that he's electrifying. And, and he's such a great locker room guy. So it's just one of those things where are we really confident 
that Swift is going to see the amount of workload uh, that we expect. And, and what does that even mean in Detroit, right? Um, so I don't think he's shown that he's got a Saquon Barkley-esque talent that could transcend any situation. I think he's a really good NFL player. He's electric. He's fun to watch. But again, it's it's for me, I don't see the difference maker yet where I, I could ignore some of those other caution signs. I don't want to call them red flags. They're just caution signs. Um, but at the of guys that are either going to take me to a championship now or or I could trade to somebody who needs them for another guy like Swift or a couple firsts, you know, where I can get new rookies coming in at maybe better situations or, or younger, you know, it's, it's one of those, those kind of avenues. Yeah. I think you, I think you make some really good points there in terms of the situation with the lions in terms of, we don't know exactly what his workload is going to be there. Jamal Williams was signed. There's been a lot of coach speak that, you know, they, he wants it to be like a, you know, one, a one B type situation. Uh, I know that talent alone. I love DeAndre Swift coming out of school two years ago. He he was he was my on pure talent alone, my favorite running back in that class. But he's you're right. He's not a transcendent talent like a Saquon Barkley, and I'm not sure he's ever going to be that extreme workhorse type guy. I think he's a guy though that could make a, a strong impact in a way where he doesn't need that heavy workload. But if he lives in the Alvin Kamara-esque touch workload, I think especially if he's as impactful as I think he could be in the passing game, then I think that was where my uh, level of excitement is with him, that I think he could be a guy that perennially catches 75 passes you know, added a backfield. So whether you want to say on the Austin Eckler level or, or somebody like that, I think that could be what he becomes and then be a good runner in terms of that, even if he's splitting time with Jamal Williams. Uh, so I guess that's where my optimism a little bit more on him is. And then Najee Harris is, is, is an intriguing one, right? Because obviously I love the player and the immediate opportunity is probably about as good as any rookie running back we've ever seen recently come into the league. So he, there's a strong chance right from his rookie year, he's already a high RB two or low RB one, but Pittsburgh's got some question marks long-term, right? The quarterback position is going to have to be, you know, obviously looked at the offensive line needs to be significantly upgraded. Uh, so yes, he's going to break out this year, I think, and and be a, you know, just on volume alone, be a really good fantasy player. But sustainability in terms of what's next at the quarterback position, the offensive line, there are some questions there. What I always find interesting, though, you know, even just with the ECR re- rankings, is would people have been willing to trade off their second or third pick in a rookie draft? where Najee Harris was going, for the most part. I guess there were some that he could have been, went and won, but I think most people had, you know, Chase or Pitts at, at one, two. But would would somebody have been willing to trade that second or third pick, assuming they were going to take Najee Harris, for the Ezekiel Elliott's, the Aaron Jones, the Derrick Henry's, right? I guess that could depend on what we said before, right? Context of the team. You know, in a vacuum, I don't know if people would. 
but that's kind of like the rookie drafts kind of like its own separate entity. People get really excited for it. You know, you, you don't see people moving those early picks too often. And I doubt they would move it for a running back in his late, tw- you know, in his, you know, back half of his twenties, uh, you know, like that, but, it, but it's interesting. I always find questions like that interesting. And I was even for myself when I was making these rankings, I was thinking, especially when I was trying to fit in this year's rookie class, I was asking myself, would I have traded the pick that I took them for player X, you know, in a vacuum? And I think that's one way that you can think of it a little bit, uh, you know, but again, the context of your team and what you're trying to do definitely matters. Uh, any thoughts on that? Because I think you might have been breaking up for a second there, Jeff, uh, when you were when you were finishing your thoughts on those two guys. So I, I kind of jumped in uh, and, and might have stole your uh, last thoughts on those guys. No, thanks for carrying that. Um, I do, though. Uh, so you mentioned, would you trade the 102 or, or 103? And a lot of times, you know, if you're in the season and you're trying to get one of those top five, top six running backs, you have to trade not like two or three first round picks to get them on your squad in the middle of the season. Right. So maybe when you're in the hype of rookie draft, 102 is sort of what it would take to get Ezekiel Elliott. But, you know, when you're making your playoff push and he's the one scoring 20 points a game, you're going to have to pony up a lot more. And um, and so I think it just depends on where on the cycle you are, right? Like it, it's it's context dependent. Um, a lot of like the off season, the rookie draft is for those rebuilding teams to get excited. The the mid the in season, the playoff push, you know, those contending teams are are going to spend what it takes to to get themselves a, a title. And so again, I think that's why you can see a lot of deals get done in dynasty, where you know it makes sense for both sides of the equation. Um, you know, somebody will maybe even would do a straight up one for one Ezekiel Elliott for Najee Harris. Somebody gets the use side of it. Somebody gets the, the point side of it for winning now and, and everybody's happy, which, you know, I, in that sense, it's a great trade. Um, I did want to touch one more piece on, on Deandre Swift and, and I've heard the Alvin Kamara optimism, you know, kind of, I don't want to call it a comp, but um, that, that thought of the potential, role he could play, especially with Dan Campbell coming over. And I just, I don't want to do any disservice to Alvin Kamara because we just, he's a unicorn. Like we, I just, I think it's really hard to expect anybody to play at the level he plays at. So even if you're getting the same level of targets, you're really going to see him score at that rate, you know, break that many tackles. Like, I mean, Swift is a really, really good player, but just, it's one of those ones where, you know, some players just have, you know, unique abilities that, you know, get comp to, but probably never get met. It's, a, you know, like everybody comps to Tyreek Hill, right? Like, you know, Jalen Waddle is closest thing to Tyreek Hill, but I would, I'm certain to be disappointed that he won't be Tyreek Hill because he's a unicorn, right? And I just think Alvin Kamara is, is sort of that type of player where if that's what your expectations are, for possibly DeAndre Swift, you know, maybe on a worse team, maybe not quite top three running back, but, but that kind of, you know, output, I just, I think it's going to be, you know, you're betting on the ceiling at that point in time. And I think you're, you're ignoring the potential 
outcomes where he doesn't hit that. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think, I think you're accurate, and you're right. Alvin Kamara is one of those types of transcendent talents that would have been good wherever, and then he ended up in New Orleans with a with a great offensive mind in Sean Payton to know how to maximize the skill set. And then you talk about his tackle breaking, his touchdown ability, and and you're right, DeAndre Swift really shouldn't be compared to that type of upside because I don't think he has that type of upside. I, I do think in terms of the usage, I think the comparison has some merit. So that's why I did also, you know, think that if people think he's going to be Austin Eckler, and I think that might be a better comp in terms of, you know, what he could be, I, I still think that maybe warrants him somewhere in that top 12 range. So, you know, it, it really depends on what Detroit wants to do with him, right? How much are we buying their talk of Jamal Williams being a 1B or 1A or whatever, whatever they, you know, they want to think about it is because it, it, that's really, I think, will impact where DeAndre Swift's value goes. We know they're not a very good team right now, you know, that can change quickly, though, so I don't I don't want to bury him for that. But I, I do think it depends on just how much usage, how much usage in particular in the passing game, I think will go a long way of, of, of saying, yeah, could he even sniff Alvin Kamara? Maybe not. Could he be in the Austin Eckler mold in terms of fantasy production if he's heavily involved in the passing game? That might be his ticket. Jared Goff checks down a lot. You know, is that the ticket for him to reach that that ceiling that some people maybe are are putting for him? I think it's going to be really interesting uh, to follow closely. Uh, a couple other guys at the top here that we had some differences on. We've talked about a, a bunch of them, so I think I'm going to kind of open it up a little bit here. You know, obviously I had uh, Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones a little bit lower than you. Uh, my reservations or pessimism on that is more – Aaron Jones, this regime drafted A.J. Dillon. I think they want him to be a part of this backfield. I know they just gave Aaron Jones his extension. I think they are going to look to be a little bit more of a split backfield. And as good as Aaron Jones was near the goal line, I think he could lose some touchdown production to the the mammoth that is A.J. Dillon. Aaron Rodgers and the offense as a whole, you know, could see a step back if if this is Aaron Rodgers' final year as it perceives to be uh, moving forward. So that was for Aaron Jones and for Derrick Henry. Listen, I I love the big dog. Like he he is going to be a guy that I am going to be targeting in best ball redraft leagues. But for me, he's one of those guys that if I'm thinking startup, the odds of me drafting a running back in the late twenties with that amount of wear and tear. Now he's a freak, so maybe he can keep this going you know, similar to Adrian Peterson did, but I expect him to be really good this year and maybe even one more year, but is it going to then fall off and then fall off quickly? Like that's my one concern with Derrick Henry kind of ties into what I said earlier about trying to get out maybe a year or so early than a year late. If you're a contending team, then Derrick Henry is, is, is way, way higher on this. Right. So, so that kind of goes into a couple of things I talked about before contending team startup. Uh, where are you at? What is your mindset in terms of your approach? But don't take my ranking of Derrick Henry at 13 as that I'm not a big fan and don't think he's going to still be elite this year. 
and maybe another year. And then I, we just don't have a lot to go on of a guy still being great. If we fast forward out two more years based on his, you know, insane workload he's had over the years and and then the age, right. It's basically Adrian Peterson and nobody else, uh, you know, in, in recent times that, that has continued to be that good. So that's, that's my slight concern in terms of that. Any, anything on the, on the counterpoint of Henry and Jones? No, I think, um, with Henry, I understand the idea of might be really hard to take him in a startup. Uh, I, you know, as I was, you know, writing a profile for the the Tennessee Titans offense, um, I was digging in to just see how comfortable am I with, with Henry? Is it just this year? Is it two years? How, like how far do I think that that could go? And I think uh, I, I want to give a shout out. Uh, to to brick road i think he's he's done a lot of uh he does some some really good you know top finishes for running backs wide receivers sort of how that sets expectations them to you know be at the peak in their career and one of the things he was showing was that it's not an anomaly for a career year to happen at 27 and 28 and you know that's one of the things it's a the one caveat with that point is we were looking more at 2010s data where it might not be as reflected in today's NFL, you know, we're talking like LaShawn McCoy's kind of, um, you know, Matt Forte's sort of players in there. But I think like if there was one player you would bet on, on as like an outlier, Derek Henry would, would really fit the mold one just, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't been worked to the, you know, work down to the bare bald tires like Ezekiel Elliott has throughout his career, right? He had a slow start and he's only been rumbling for a, a year and a half, I think. Uh, and, and so I do think you could get another two solid years, even with this insane usage. So that's what I'm betting on. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable. You know, I like to build with my I start up with a lower mind, so I don't know that I'd feel comfortable with a two-year expiring asset. So in a startup draft, I could see fading them a little bit, but I'd be really comfortable with them this year, knowing that I could probably still trade them. With Aaron Jones, I did want to touch a point there that he hasn't had to have a large usage to be a top end fantasy running back. And so, you know, he lost usage to Jamal Williams. I think I mentioned with Andre Swift, Williams has been a, a really good back and a team favorite, and he's garnered a lot of touches and, and snaps in the backfield and, and usage. And I think, you know, I don't think he's going to lose more of that to AJ Dillon. I think AJ Dillon's, going to inherit that workload and probably do even more with it because I'm a big fan of his. But I think Aaron Jones is a fuck with enough involvement in the passing game and on an efficient enough offense and as an efficient enough player himself that he's still going to return his value this year. Now, I think the big question and where I, I understand fading him a little bit is his uncertainty. I think we can maybe expect Aaron Rodgers to leave. And then I don't know what we're going to look at with Green Bay. Maybe more volume for the running backs, and that would help. 
But if you don't see that, I, I think you'll start to see him fall off a cliff there because you don't have Aaron Rodgers supporting that efficiency. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's the that's the big question mark there. And again, it, it kind of goes into these guys, like even for me, like I, I don't dislike Aaron Jones and I surely don't dislike you know, Derrick Henry. And it, it goes into the point of just how hard it is to rank these and the 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 premise of what you're looking for, how long out, how much value in terms of trading you, you want to maintain. Uh, you know, those are all things that I think go into making these decisions. And a few, one or two other guys real quick at, at the top that I think, you know, we've talked a lot about Ezekiel Elliott. Like I kind of made a stand that I think he's on the back. I, I think we've seen the best of Ezekiel Elliott. So I have him a little bit further down my rankings uh, because of that. You know, people who still think he's going to be an RB1 for the next couple of years, well, then he should be up in, you know, in top seven, top eight, top nines uh, for for sure. I, I think maybe we've seen him and, you know, and I, I kind of think that maybe this is a year we see a little bit more from Tony Pollard, which is a guy we might, you know, discuss a little bit in our last segment. Uh, but the, the, the ones I really want to kind of hit on is Antonio Gibson – I'm a big fan. I was blown away with what he was able to do last year in terms of his pure running ability when I thought he was much more of a hybrid player. And I think he's a guy that is set to explode this year if they start to incorporate him. Now, it's a dangerous game, right? Because I thought they were going to do that with Josh Jacobs, right? And they didn't do it in year two. But Antonio Gibson is very different. His best asset might be his you know, receiving ability as he played that position, you know, more in college and even running back. So if he shows what he did in the run game last year and then just incorporates being a big factor in the passing game, I think we're talking about a guy who is going to skyrocket up rankings. And I want to be in on him now because I think four weeks into the football season, if he's being utilized in the passing game in the way that they're talking about using them and the way that I think he's capable of, I think you're going to see a guy who catapults himself into the upper echelon with that capability of being an impactful runner and then also an impactful in the passing game. So that's kind of my ranking on Gibson. And then another second year player is Cam Akers and what to do with him. Because for me, he was up where I had Joe Mixon prior to the injury. And then I moved him down to 15. And as we're talking through things pre-show and on the show, I, I'm starting to realize that I kind of have him ranked as if he's just going to be the same player when he comes back, kind of like what we see with ACL injuries. And that and it's not. It's it's the Achilles, right? We've never we haven't seen guys come back from this and be elite again especially the running back position. Now he's got youth on his side. I get all that, but I might even be a little higher on him that when I kind of adjust these and rank the, and, and, and make modifications before they go live on the website, I could see myself moving down acres a little bit more after this year's rookies, like, you know, uh, Ethan and Javante Williams below safer guys like Josh Jacobs, uh, just to kind of let this play out a little bit as, as high as I was on Cam Akers, I think there's a real concern that we don't know what he's going to be when he comes back. So I have to adjust accordingly and I move them down about nine or 10 spots. 
because I had him really high, but I don't think I moved him down enough. I think as I I look at it now, I think he's got to go behind guys like, for me, Ezekiel Elliott, even though I think he's on the back end. He's got to go behind guys like Josh Jacobs. So I think he's got to fall back a little bit more, maybe not to where he is in the ECR rankings, but at least a little bit more back uh, just to take some of those safer guys who are still got youth on their side, still got some upside um, and put him behind those guys and take a little bit of a wait and see approach to next year. So Jeff, any, any thoughts on Gibson and then your approach to acres as well? I actually don't have a problem with your analysis on Gibson. I think but it's a bet I like, like I would prefer and I, I think I'd, I'm going to have to adjust my ranks um, because I think I prefer the bet on Gibson than I do. A bet on just based on, you know, what you've, you know, your, your kind of argument right there. I do think he's got room to grow as a runner and he's got a lot more room to get used in the passing game. You know, I, I think JD McKissick took a, a major chunk of that was touchdown efficient, but, um, or, or Gibson was touchdown efficient, but he wasn't used quite as much as I think we'd hope. And I think that just shows that there's a ceiling that he can hit. And so as far as a bet of, you know, I became a little bit more cautious than you. So with Cam Akers, the Achilles, I think you mentioned all the concerns, good player, but I'm worried that he's not going to be the player, the workhorse, the top 10 guy. I think if he comes back and he's a good player, he's a good player in a committee. And I just don't think he's going to be clean out the way that we would have hoped. Yeah, I, I mean, I think 100%, you know, those concerns and talking to you before the show started and, and stuff, I think my optimism still for Cam Akers might be a little bit in what I want to happen than the approach I should be taking from a fantasy lens. And I, and I do think, uh, I do think that's something that, you know, I, I'm going to adjust a little bit because of of that uncertainty uh in terms of that uh you know so so that was kind of our discussion on a lot of the top guys uh we're gonna pivot in a little bit rapid fire here because we don't want to go too long with some key differences in terms of some of our guys we have a little bit further down the rankings uh you know jeff created a great uh spreadsheet kind of comparing the differences between him and i and ecr a couple guys that that we have substantially different from either each other or the consensus rankings. I'm going to run through them and then we'll kind of talk about a couple of them here. Uh, I have Tony Pollard at 31. Jeff has him at 48. He's 37 on ECR. Uh, I have the Buffalo guys back to back. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary at 36, 37. Jeff has him at 47 for Moss, 62 for Singletary. The consensus out there is 34 and 42 for those two. 
Uh, I have Rohim Mosert at 38. Jeff has him at 28. ECR at 39. Uh, I have David Johnson at 49. Jeff has him at 36. ECR at 43. And then Gus Edwards and Tariq Cohen. Uh, I have Gus Edwards at 47. Jeff has him at 36. ECR has him at 47. And then Tariq Cohen, I have at 42. Jeff has him at 57. And ECR has him at 48. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of get started there, Jeff. My Tony Pollard rank is is a direct relationship with where I have Ezekiel Elliott. I think Tony Pollard is a very talented back that's kind of been waiting his turn. And I think we're going to start to see him not have as much of a gap in terms of usage. I still think it's Ezekiel Elliott's backfield, but if it's been 80-20 over the last couple of years, I think maybe this is the year we start to see 60-40, 65-35. I, I think we start to see Pollard close that gap a little bit. And if Ezekiel Elliott's best days are behind him, it could open up the door for Pollard to be even better. If something happens to Ezekiel Elliott, I think Tony Pollard could be a league winner. I, I got to this point of my rankings, and I was just like, between – what would happen if Ezekiel Elliott got hurt between my concerns of Ezekiel Elliott? I think it means I got to have Tony Pollard high to kind of represent, you know, that idea. So that was kind of it for me. Uh, And then let me just touch on the Buffalo guys and then you can jump in and share your thoughts on any of those for the Buffalo guys. I'm not fans of either of them. I don't really want either of them on my roster to be frankly honest with you. And I'm kind of hedging my bets a little bit by having them back to back in my rankings. That's kind of my way of saying if one is to emerge to be the lead back, then I think they become better value. They become a guy that maybe is in the mid to high 20s instead of, you know, the late 30s or an ECR 32 and 42. But I don't know who it's going to be. I was never a Singletary guy and I'm not a Zach Moss guy either. Like I don't talent wise alone. I don't love either of those guys. And Josh Allen takes a lot. It's more buying a part of that Buffalo offense. And if at some point they feel the need to protect Josh Allen a little bit more, even though he's kind of got that Cam Newton like build. So I don't think he's still going to be a weapon, I think near the goal line for the foreseeable future. But is there a guy that maybe lightens the, the workload of Josh Allen near the goal line? It, it, it would seem to be Zach Moss if, you, if you're going to try to pick one between the two. But that's kind of my thinking for having those guys in, in the late 30s, kind of hedging my bets that maybe one emerges to at least be the lead in that committee and maybe can produce some, you know, RB2, low RB2 or, you know, high to mid RB3 consistent value uh, from that duo. So any, any thoughts on Pollard, you know, could just be the flip side of what, what I, if you're still high on Elliot, it makes sense to be low on Pollard and anything with the Buffalo guys. So you, you did mention that. I think I am still high on Elliot. They're married to him for two more years with that contract for sure. So it's not like he's going to get cut. I, I guess the biggest question is, do you think, you know, Elliot doesn't have it anymore. Do you, do you think he looked like he lost a step? Did he look slow? And when I was just watching him last year, it, it didn't look like it was on Elliot. It looked like, you know, the offense had stagnated. They stacked the defenses, stacked the box. The offensive line was hurt. You know, there just wasn't as much room to run, but Zeke still looked very impressive with the context that he was running in. And so I still think Zeke has it. He's, he's still, you know, a top, 
10 running back in the NFL easy. And, you know, I think with Tony Pollard, you're right. If Zeke goes down, he, he has maybe league winning upside. I don't think it's a one for one kind of thing. I don't, there's a lot of times we see these change of pace backs and, and we get really excited because we see the efficiency they have, you know, coming in as, as sort of, again, the change of pace, the, the backup, you know, they're, they're five plus yards per carry. And we get kind of excited about what would they do with 200 carries? What would they do with the full workload? And as soon as we see them come in, this is kind of like a Chase Edmonds thing, you know, they start disappointing. They don't, they don't carry that through with them. It's because they're not facing the lighter boxes. They're not, you know, fresh. They're not, you know, they're ground down. They just can't carry a load like that. So I think Tony Pollard will be really valuable if he goes down. I just don't think he's an RB one, even in that offense. I, I don't know exactly who they'd bring in, but you know, to to run with him. But I, I gotta imagine it would be somebody. And so I think that's just where my viewpoint with Tony Pollard is. You know, I have him down ahead of other league winning handcuffs like Alexander Madison. I still think he's a, a better standalone value and a better, you know, a better handcuff. It's just that I think I put guys that, you know, without something happening to having to happen, you know, would contribute to to my lineup, contribute to my roster as it is. And and so I think we'll get to some of the ones that you mentioned later, the David Johnson's Raheem Mostert's, you know, why I have them a little bit higher. As for the Buffalo guys, you mentioned the concerns. It's there's just nothing to get excited about for that backfield. It's, it's those two guys, maybe Matt Breida as well. And Josh Allen taking all of the valuable goal line touches. It just, there's not a lot of pass catching that you can maybe hang, hang your hat on. Um, it, it makes me a little bit sad because Singletary was one of my favorite underrated movers in his class. I just, you know, he, he wasn't the, an extreme athlete, but just the way that he could still get a corner with the, t- the physical tools he was given is just in my mind, I, you know, as an average guy myself, um, I found really impressive and I loved watching him, but it's just, it's not going to translate because of those limited physical tools to anything, uh, any upside, you know, for your fantasy team. That's why I have Zach Moss 15 spots higher is because I think if something were going to emerge out of there, I think my bets there, I just, I'm just not optimistic. Yeah. And this is, this goes exactly to where you got to be careful with rankings. And, and we said this a lot. What I said before was, was something that I would really hold true. If I was doing a startup dynasty tomorrow, I would want to try to get three and preferably four running backs out of my top 28. And that would mean holding off probably on wide receivers and a tight end and, and, and definitely a quarterback if it wasn't super flex. And even if it was super flex, I'd probably take one early, go for running backs, like potentially three or four picks in a row, and then start my other positions. And, and part of that thinking would be, I don't want to pick even though they're my 36th and 37th running backs, I don't really want any of them on my dynasty roster in retrospect. Right. You know, so it's like, it really falls off fast. And as we were saying before, I'd want three or four guys in my top 30 or so, preferably four, and then kind of just like maybe a handcuff or something much later in the draft. And then look to rookie drafts to kind of keep that filled and, and stocked up whatever I had to do because there's just not a lot of value after you got past that like 28, 30 range 
and and this proves my point because I wouldn't be excited to have any of these Buffalo guys, but they still came in at 36 and 37 for me. And a guy like Tony Pollard came in at 31 because I think he could have some a little standalone value if he starts to be more involved in the passing game and taking some of it. And then as a handcuff, like, and he came in at 31 for me. It just kind of tells you that, like, for me, after about 28, it was a massive drop. And I didn't really want to be in on many of those guys uh, the way I took it. So that was that that was kind of, you know, even though they're up there on my rankings, not really guys that, that I'd want uh, to be – to, uh, to have on my roster. Jeff, I want to throw it back to you because you have most there and, and David Johnson higher than me. Uh, David Johnson's just a guy that if we fast forward 365 days from now and he's out of the NFL, I wouldn't be surprised completely out of the NFL. I think that is without a doubt in the realm of possibilities. And I just want to be I want to be out on him and not waste a, a, a spot right now. They have so many guys there in Houston this year that, you know, that can split it. Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, whatever they're doing there. I'm not really sure. Most there, I have him. I think he's a good back, but I'm a believer in Trey Sermon. I'm not sure if I could have two of them in my top 30. So that was kind of my reservations on my end. I know you followed 49ers much closer to me. So I kind of am interested to hear your take on Moster and your ranking of him. Cause I also know you had Trey Sermon, you know, in your top 24. Uh, so that, and your approach on David Johnson, is it just, if you're desperate for like an RB four this year or, or low RB three, just get one year out of him and know that that's what you're getting. Yeah, I think you've touched it, right? Um, first of all, I, I think the interesting thing is for for me, these guys are ahead of Singletary and Moss because, you know, I, I think with Singletary and Moss, there's not a lot of future upside and I just don't see a lot of present value. With all three of these guys, you know, hit with or at least especially Mostert and David Johnson, like you're not looking at any future upside. These guys are are going to be there for one year and then they're, they're kind of gone. I don't know that they're going to have an opportunity at all. Uh, Maybe as like a third running back to fill in a roster somewhere, kind of like how Mark Ingram left uh, the Ravens. It's just that I think they're going to be actually give you a shot at, at some value this year. And, and I think that that's to me, somebody you can use this year is, is sort of better than having a guy that can stay on your roster for three or four years, but you're never going to start. So like I, you know, you, David Johnson, I think just real quickly, he was a value last year. You know, he's not young anymore. He's, he's not explosive anymore. Um, but he's, he's going to catch some passes. He's going to be a featured part of that offense. He's going to get a ton of touches. The, the, the guys behind him aren't necessarily inspiring and, and sort of nothing excited like a, you know, he's kind of like Melvin Gordon without the fact that there's a, a Javante Williams behind him. You know, he's, he's just going to be a guy that's going to be out there and, and getting the opportunity, getting catches and, and probably just being a really unexciting option that you could put in your lineup. And then you're, you're going to be off of him for next year. I just don't think you're going to get any value from him now if you tried to trade him. So you might as well just kind of, write him out and then just plan to replace him, you know, as he kind of falls off your roster. And it's going to be the same thing with Mostert, except I'm a little bit higher on Mostert because I think the upside is higher. Um, while I'm a huge Trey Sermon fan and I, I would 
have Trey Sermon ranked ahead of Raheem Mostert because I think there's an opportunity for both of them to be relevant now and Sermon will be the future for that team. The same way that I think, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get more play than Trey Lance. I think Raheem Mostert is going to get more play than Trey Sermon. They love him. He knows the offense. The scheme is catered exactly to his skill set. He's he's explosive. He's fast. He hits the holes. He knows where the holes are going to be. He's kind of got a mind meld with their offensive line. And the biggest the biggest concern with Raheem Mostert is is basically just been health. And that's a concern. But if he's healthy, he's he's going to be un, even without high volume. He's going to be extremely efficient. He's going to be a home run threat. He's going to rip chunks of yards out with that offense behind that offensive line. I just think that somebody, he's someone you can use and and he's got, I think he's got the upside to rush for 11, 1200 yards. Uh, And again, he's, he's older. He's, he's probably his last year on the team there. He's probably not going to go anywhere next year with the same level of opportunity, but he's somebody who, you know, all, all of this goes, you know, these guys go, if you're going to win this year, if, if you're not going to go for it this year, just ignore them altogether. Don't even bother. But if, you, if you're going to try to compete this year, if you're going to try to win, you know, the rosters that tend to make it through a season of injuries and buys and COVID tend to have these sort of uninspiring sort of the, the, the not sexy, the, you know, the, the non-hyped depth pieces that just score fantasy points. And so that's why I put them as, again, they're behind the, I must have these top 27, 28 guys that, you know, that you mentioned that those are the ones that you want to attack. And the rest of these guys are sort of the rest. Um, and so these are kind of the rest, your RB four that I'm fine with going for this year. And if you have plans to replace them in the future. Yeah. And one thing I do think is, a very good strategy in Dynasty is guys like this are very, very accessible in trades, like especially in the offseason, especially around your rookie drafts. So like when you have like I'm sure in a lot of Dynasty leagues, you could have got Raheem there for a third round rookie pick just because people overvalue rookie picks. There's just no way around it. So while you once you have a roster and you know what you're doing right you're all in now you there's there's guys out there that can be very functional players for your roster and i think most there is the perfect example i i to me he's much more the example than a guy like david johnson because they just have too many other guys now there in houston and a terrible team while most there's on a team that i think is gonna be very good in a, in a in a team that historically has a great run game and as Jeff alluded to, there's a very strong possibility if he stays healthy that he still leads the team in yards and attempts and probably touchdowns in terms of the running game. But Moser is a guy that, like, if you know your team is a running back short, you can probably go get him right now for a third-round rookie pick. And it might seem like you're giving up a lot, but in retrospect, third-round rookie picks don't hit that often. They're fun to have. They're, they're ammunition to maybe move up a little bit you know, earlier in your draft. But if, if you have a gaping hole, if you had Cam Akers on your dynasty roster and you're trying to say, figure out how you could still be and your team ready to win right now, 
I think Rohim Moser is one of those guys that you can go get, and he can. He's not going to be as good as what Cam Akers is. He's going to be, but he's got upside to still lead that team, a really good team, and he's at least a guy you know is going to be involved in that. They're not going to hand the keys to the kingdom to Trey Sermon, you know, definitely not early in the year. I guess is a scenario that maybe later in the year that could happen, but I don't think the odds are high. I think that's more of a year two thing. So he's the type of guy that again. He's not high in rankings. His ECR is 39, but don't use that for every team, right? For your, if your team is a contender and you just lost to Cam Akers or you lose somebody in training camp or preseason or the first week of the season, Moser could be a really good target that's not going to cost you a lot because that perceived long-term value is low. So I think, I think those are things that are really helpful to, to realize when you're talking about some of these players that even though they're low on rankings, doesn't mean that they don't bring a lot of value to your team in a certain situation. And I think that's really important. So guys, there it is. The running back dynasty running back rankings and discussion show. I hope you're enjoying these shows as much as I know Jeff and I are, uh, once we finish all four shows, now quarterbacks are done, running backs are, are finished. We're going to do one on wide receivers and tight ends. Once all four are finished, uh, these rankings will be posted for free on the website and they will be updated periodically, you know, on the, on the website, but they will also be included in the new rankings notebook, which will be part of the new S to S premium notebooks that will launch sometime in September. I've been working hard behind the scenes on the scouting notebook. Uh, I have finished quarterbacks and tight ends, uh, about 30 prospects in the books. I am turning my attention to running backs starting tomorrow. Uh, and hopefully again, finish up all that film watching by give or take around labor day. And then those, uh, notebooks will launch, but the dynasty rankings will be a part of the new rankings notebook. They will be updated in more frequency in the rankings notebook than the free version on the website. And uh, if possible, there will be a little bit more uh, substance and context uh, to the rankings in the rankings notebook as well. So that's the, that's the plan uh, for that. So Jeff, any, any final parting shots here in, in terms of the running back rankings or any, anything else? No, it's just, it's really fun to walk through, uh, just these different approaches you and I, I think actually take a pretty different came at these rankings from two different opposite ends. So it was really nice to try to marry uh, our mindsets and, and just see how and challenge each other with, with, you know, how we would do it. And I think it would be really interesting if we were actually you and I aren't in a league together, but that'd be kind of interesting because I think we would uh, find a lot of common ground in being able to get a couple deals done. Yeah. And, 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 and guys, this is something that I think is so important in this space that we all have here. And it's not just about dynasty rankings. It's about film analysis. It's about watching prospects for, for the draft is open your mind up and open up to listening closely to other people's approaches. It's one of the things here at Saturday Sunday that, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for over the years here, right? All the, the guests, the contributors that we've had, Listen to them. I mean, even Matt and I have a very, you know, while we both love the the 
evaluation of film, even Matt and I come from a different perspective, right? He's He's been working hard on his player problem solver paradigm and the movement stuff. Uh, you know, I incorporate that a little bit, not at the level Matt does. So there's an approach there. Listening to Jeff and I speak on terms of our rankings here. I know I'm in my mind, I'm already thinking of things to adjust and adapt as I hear Jeff talk about players and, 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 and the safety of guys or, or what needs to happen to, to hit that, like be opening to listening to other people and their process, because I think you're going to find it helps you fine tune your own process, right? We're not all going to follow the same thing. It would be really boring if everybody had the same rankings for the draft and for dynasty rookie drafts and for dynasty overall rankings. It'd be really boring. But don't be so close-minded that you don't listen to really smart people who have a process and that they follow because I think it allows you to fine-tune your own process and maybe you miss something. Maybe you, maybe you just thought about it and, and thinking about it in a new perspective makes you and helps you adjust your rankings that are even better than what maybe you had it. And I know I constantly do that with my rookies when I listen to other people and their approaches, you know especially post-draft, right? Pre-draft is really more my film analysis, but sometimes people can open my eyes to a different thing that I didn't see and I go back and look for it. But in terms of rookie rankings, in terms of dynasty rankings, be open to other people's perspectives and ideas because I think you're going to find that it helps you fine-tune your own ones and maybe you'll, you find a way to even better your own rankings to then, you know, marriage some other people's thoughts into your own uh, to where you're comfortable, more comfortable, you know, with your rankings. So I think that's something really important. Jeff, final, just make sure again, let the audience know where they can follow you. You talked a couple of times tonight about Twitter, that you're active on there for people to reach out. If they had individual questions about their team, please let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah. Reach me at the sofa scout on Twitter, uh, whether that's talking through some of these rankings, my mindset, what you, what I would do for your team, or if you had just wanted to bounce any thoughts off me, I love talking football, reach me out there on Twitter. You know, I'll be back here for wide receivers, tight ends, and uh, looking forward to these next discussions here. Absolutely. And as we talked about on the quarterback show, we anticipate going back to these rankings a little bit during the, 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 the season and checking in on these rankings, right? Because they will be updated at times uh, a little bit on the website, which will be completely free, more so in, in the rankings notebook as well. So it's going to be interesting because I do think there are things that very quickly can start to change, uh, you know, in terms of what we see early in the NFL season. And then as the year goes on. So it's going to be fun to kind of check in on these rankings and continue these discussions that Jeff and I have off air, on air, uh, and help each other uh, to the best we can in terms of putting out rankings that we feel really comfortable uh, sharing with you guys that we utilize on our end as well. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.